Lord, we thank you for this third week of Advent, that as we have spent the last month focused, as we always should be, Lord, but focused on Jesus and specifically his birth and the amazing things that surrounded that first Christmas. Lord, we just give you glory, and I pray as we spend time in your word this morning that we would continue to see this beautiful season for what it truly is. And that is God became man so that he could live a sinless life and die the death that we deserved and be resurrected to give us new life and hope. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what every day as a follower of Christ, should be all about. So I pray, God, for your guidance. I pray that your spirit would be our teacher and our guide today. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 2, which uh, Pat read so wonderfully for us. We're going to read it again, uh, starting in verse 1. It's not that Pat didn't do a good enough job when, when he read it earlier, it's just, how many of you remember, right? You get the gist, but let's, let's, we're going to read it again because we, some of us have memory issues. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Is everything okay up there? The verse is full of What's wrong? The verse, it, it's the bottom of the verse. That's not right. It's how? I don't know. I'm very confused. I, I, I do the, the bulletin notes and then I copy and paste them into the PowerPoint. So I don't I don't know how that would happen. I just everybody keeps pointing at the screen. Not everybody, but like several people have pointed at the screen. I'm reading the Bible and people there. I'm just testing you all this week. First we printed the inside of the bulletins upside down to see how many of you would turn it over. I think you all passed. 
And then, let's just see if you were listening, right? I don't know. The guy who does those PowerPoints, we're going to have to, uh, I don't know, fire him or something. Have you ever noticed, let's get back. Have you ever noticed how life doesn't turn out the way we typically plan it? Any, anybody had that experience? I'll give you one of my favorites. When I met my beautiful wife, we were 16 years old. And uh, yeah, she's better looking now than she was back then. Um, it's true though. And when we met and you know we, we first started dating and started talking, she told me her plan. And her plan was to go to college and be an accountant. And once she was an accountant and she was making more money than her dad, that was her goal, uh, you failed. <laughs> but once she was making more money than her dad, then she was going to get married. And then once she was married, right, because that's the proper order anyway, once she was married, she wanted to have kids. And I don't know, I was I was chubby 16-year-old. I was just happy I had someone to go out with. My plan was much simpler. Become a rock star. But things don't always work out the way we plan them, now do they? Somewhere along the path, the Lord got a hold of my heart, and we decided we needed to get married, so we did. She wasn't done with college. And about a year after we got married, I started pestering her because I wanted a kid. And so, this is the best part of the story. Six months in, right? We were six months in, I'm like, I think we should have a baby. She goes, I don't want to have a baby. I'm still in college, so on and so forth. I said, fine, can I get a cat? It's the same thing. Um, so we got our first cat as a couple, Zippy Leroy. He was an abandoned cat who my brother's dog raised. Yeah, figure that out. But it was so cute. Her name was Noelle, and she used to clean the, pup, the little kitties, and they would pee in her mouth. It was very cute, though. Right, you got... You know what you're getting into when you come to church. Don't expect anything else. And uh, so we did that. And six months later, the cat wasn't enough, and I started bothering her again. And four months after that, she was pregnant with John. Um, but our plans just don't go the way they were meant to, right? Because after I got saved, I'm like, oh, okay, I was going to be a rock star. Now I'll be a Christian rock star. And God said no, which is wise. He's very wise, Right? But life just doesn't work that way. And sometimes it just doesn't go the way we think it should. Sometimes it just goes really badly. Now think about the wise men. They had spent approximately two years following the star. Walking through a desert, over mountains, circumventing bodies of water. They probably had to leave behind families, maybe their children. They left their homeland. They found themselves in the presence of a king, but not the king they expected, because it was Herod. Which makes sense, doesn't it? They come, they knew it was near Jerusalem, and they come by, and they're like, hey, there's a palace. I bet that's where he is. Nope, just a cranky old murderous guy. 
When they finally arrive, they find a humble little house instead of a palace. They probably thought, okay, well, it's a humble house, but we're going to go in, we're going to meet this king, and it's a toddler. Right? We always get the picture in our manger scenes that they showed up while he was still in the manger. He wasn't. He was about two years old. Now, granted, I don't want to presume anything. He's, he is the son of God, um, but he's still a two-year-old. What do you do if, if you don't want your peas when you're the two-year-old son of God? Just make a steak appear on your plate? I, I don't know how that works, but I'm just, I just try to think through the challenges that came with raising God in the flesh. We had plenty of challenges raising your own kids. I, I can't imagine quite how that went. But that's what they find, right? Probably a, a toddler. He was probably messy. Maybe he'd been making mud pies. I mean, who knows? But not what they expected. They found the king of kings in the home of a peasant. And while this would have been a surprise and could have been a disappointment... It didn't stop them from doing what they came to do. And I think something that's so important for us to remember is what is unexpected for us is never a surprise to God. So point number the first one. And we're going to just we're going to pull all of these right out of the text. But those who are wise recognize God in the unexpected. Sure, it wasn't what they expected, but they came to worship, and worship they did. They saw God in this unexpected Jesus situation. They saw God right there in Jesus. And when life shatters our dreams, or when things don't go the way we hope or the way we plan, the first thing we should do is find God in it. Then nothing can happen in your life that he is not allowed. Romans eight twenty through 30. Right? We're familiar with it, but it's always a good reminder. That we know... Did my sound go out? Is it back? How are we? Are we good? I think I need a new wireless. Let's we'll talk about that. They're not cheap. Um, Romans 8, 28 through 30. We'll start again. And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, if you're anything like every other human being on earth, you still have a problem with the unexpected. Things happen that you don't like. Things happen that aren't fair. Things happen that seem absolutely wrong. And I was listening to somebody, um, and I can't remember the person's name, but uh, it, was a, it was a lady, and she was giving a testimony, and uh, talked about two very different situations. Uh, a woman in their church who had cancer, church gathered around her and prayed for her, Treatments worked. She got better, went into complete remission. And then her sister, when their baby, you, you heard this, it was on the podcast, um, was about, her baby was about six months old. 
and she was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer and was dead before his first birthday, though the church gathered around her and prayed. And she said, I was left with a choice. I could get angry. She goes, I was angry. But she goes, I could, I could blame God and, and be, uh, you know, distant from him and not want anything to do with him. Or she said, and this, this is the, the brilliant statement, I could embrace the mystery. Embracing the mystery is hard because we don't know. And all we can do sometimes is guess. But when we embrace the mystery and we believe the Bible that he's working all things out for good, that he's conforming us to the image of his son, that he's predestined us, that he's called us, that he's justified us and will glorify us, when we believe that, we can embrace the mystery in faith and hope. When we encounter the unexpected in God, he's typically working, I think, in one of three ways. He may be correcting us. Hebrews 12, 6, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If you're going the wrong way, Sometimes an unexpected situation is God trying to turn you around, right? Anybody got the GPS? The GPS, wow, how old am I? Anybody got one of them newfangled devices tells you how to get where you're going, right? Uh, GPS, and what happens if while you're driving and you've got your GPS on, you miss a turn? Turn around at the next exit, make a U-turn, stop at the stop sign and turn right. What is it doing? It's getting you back on the right path. Sometimes the unexpected in our lives is God's correction, not punishment. He doesn't punish us as his children, but he will correct us and go, hey, you're going the wrong way. It's like that scene from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which I've used as an illustration before, so I'm going to move past it. But, you know, it's God's way, one of God's ways of telling us you are going the wrong way. So when it happens and we're looking for God in the situation, sometimes that's what's going on. Sometimes it's just instruction. He's trying to reveal himself to you in a new way. Romans 15.4 For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Go back and look throughout the Old Testament. So often, God does something unexpected to instruct. I think of Moses in the burning bush. Moses went to work that day. It was that simple. Got his staff, packed his lunch, went out, was hanging out with the sheep. One of them, you know, he's, he's wandering around looking for this one. Hey, that bush is on fire. That bush has been on fire for a long time. And so he goes to check it out. Moses. God speaks to him. Unexpected. And then he got the instructions that changed his life and changed the lives of <clears throat> billions of others. Freeing Israel, taking them to the homeland or to the Holy Land, so they could take their possession, so that one day Jesus could be born there. 
Sometimes he does it to teach us and instruct us. Sometimes it's to perfect us. That scripture we read in Romans 8, we talk about being conformed to the image of his son. And sometimes we face the unexpected because he's trying to perfect us or mature us or complete us. He is trying to mold us into his image. He desires a vessel that he can use, and he has chosen you as that vessel, and he is getting you ready for service. Galatians 4.19, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Let's go back to Moses. Moses should have died. Instead, he was adopted into Pharaoh's family. He should have reigned. Instead, he became a murderer and a fugitive. He was meant to lead and deliver, but he spent 40 years as a shepherd. And what do you think that 40 years taught him to do? It taught him to lead and care for stubborn and stupid creatures. Dead serious. And once he was really good at it, he told him to go get Israel. That 40 years wasn't an accident. When you encounter the unexpected, look for God and he will be there. I mentioned this verse earlier. Isaiah 43, 1 through 5. But now thus says the Lord Jehovah, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. My brothers and sisters, receive that word from God. One of the problems I think we so often have is not doubting God's love for us. I don't ever doubt his love for me. I can say that honestly. I'm not saying I never have. I've come to a place where I never doubt his love for me. But so often, I fail to receive it. And listen to these words. You are precious in my eyes. You are honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. Just receive the word of God. It's not me. It's not some new revelation. The book of Isaiah has been around for a long time. But listen to what God is saying to us. We are precious in his eyes, honored, and he loves us. And he says, fear not, I am here with you. That's good news. Number two, those who are wise worship in the unexpected. It would have been easy for these men to have turned around, packed up all that they had, and went home, and who would blame them? Things hadn't turned out like they planned. Have you ever had that experience? Where you make plans A, B, and C, 
and plan A completely falls through and so you decide I'm just not going to bother with B and C. Plan A for them was find the newborn king or the king that the star is telling us to follow. Find the king. And instead they find a toddler. And they could have gone, well, I don't think this is the kid we're supposed to give what was likely in our day and age millions of dollars worth of stuff. So let's just pack up and go home. It was probably, it was probably the wrong house. They didn't do that. Instead of turning around and quitting, they worshipped the unexpected Messiah. They worshipped first with who they were. These were dignitaries. And they fell down, prostrating themselves before, I think I wrote baby, but really before a two-year-old. And offering him honor in their worship. Hebrews 13.5 says, Through him let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. They just worshiped with who they were. We talked about this uh, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before when we talked about the wise men very specifically. Uh, But they were uh, Zoroastrians, which is a fun word to remember. And as Zoroastrians and where they were from, it is highly likely that they knew to follow the star because they had the book of Daniel. Daniel, though he was a worshiper of the one true God, when he served among the astrologers and sorcerers and wise men of Babylon, those were the Zoroastrians. And they, they stuck around, even though Babylon fell much, much earlier. And so it's very likely that they had Daniel's instruction, and that's what they were following. And when they fell down, they stripped off themselves. Right? And I'm not saying they fell down naked. What I'm saying is, is they got rid of. It, wa- it wasn't about their dignity. It wasn't about their honor. It wasn't about their glory. It wasn't about their position. It was about him. We watched Elf last night. You guys remember, you ever seen Elf with Will Ferrell? Don't give me a dirty look. It's a funny movie. Um, we watched Elf last night. And in watching Elf, there's a scene at the end, right, where they're all singing and trying to have Christmas spirit and the, the main, one of the main characters is just mouthing the words. He doesn't want to sing, not in front of people, until his kid, he goes, hey, everyone's got to sing, and he sang. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying, you know, you should sing right now, unless you really feel like it, then go outside. Um, but um, I think there's so often that we, we are so reserved in our worship, and I'm not just talking about singing. But have you ever, you know, just thought, I want to do this, whatever it might be, this extravagant act of worship towards my God. But, you know, ah, but if I do that, my family's going to think I'm crazy. Or if I say that, I'm going to have a coworker that's going to, you know, not want to talk to me. Or whatever the case might be. They set all of that aside and they bowed before a toddler. 
They worshipped with who they were. Then they worshipped with what they gave. Now, this is not appeal for money, I promise. These gifts that they brought were certainly in large amounts. We always get the picture, right? And you can always, our, our, our manger scene at home is the same, right? That they're coming up with this little box of gold and this little box of myrrh. No. These were wealthy dignitaries from a foreign land coming to meet a king. They didn't bring little boxes. They brought camel loads. I'm assuming it was camels. Maybe it was donkeys. Who knows? But it was loads of this stuff. They might have had a little box to represent it, but it was loads. It was enough for them to live on when they fled to Egypt for somewhere around eight years. So put that in today's standard. If you have a family that makes, I don't know, easy number, 50000 a year, and you need eight years worth, that's four hundred grand. These, these weren't little presents. Now, I'm not telling you to give a lot of money, um, but they made this offering. The gold, as we remember, represents divinity and royalty. The frankincense represents his priesthood. Jesus is the only one who could ever be the king of Israel and the high priest because he was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, not Levi. But frankincense speaks of priesthood and myrrh speaks of his death. It's a weird gift to give a two-year-old. It's a weird gift. You know, it would, it would literally be like <coughs> buying a, a child a coffin. I mean, it'd just be, oh, so harsh. And imagine being his parents like, whoa, what's that for? Mary probably knew. However we worship, it is not so much the act or even the offering as it is the heart behind it. Whether we worship God with our material goods, with our own selves, with our words, with our songs, with our actions, with our thoughts, he is so much more interested in our hearts than he is in anything else. When he has our hearts, everything else follows. Luke 10, 25 through 28. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And then he goes on and says, okay, but who's my neighbor? <laughs> and that's a problem. What's, what's the goal? Our worship is loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. Now, that's not what gets us into heaven. We get into heaven because Jesus died on the cross and we place our faith in him. And by his grace, we are saved. But it doesn't change that he wants our heart. The widow with the two mites is one of the greatest examples, which we're also going to get to later in the book of Luke. Two mites. Half a penny. Half a penny. That's all she could give. And these people were putting in thousands or tens of thousands of dollars worth of gold and all this other stuff. And Jesus said, she gave more than all of them. 
They gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her lack. All she had to live on. Because it wasn't about the amount. It was about the heart. And in that moment, she was saying, God, I give you, I give you everything. I trust you with everything. Here it is. That's a beautiful act of worship. Number three, those who are wise receive grace when they encounter the unexpected. While they were there, they experienced two kinds of grace. First, I believe they experienced saving grace. I can't imagine meeting Jesus in the flesh, though many people did it, but these guys came to find this king. I can't imagine that they went away not believing in him. Now, it's a guess. It could be wrong, but it's, I, it's, I think it's a safe guess. I think when we get there one day, we're going to see these three guys. And maybe the whole retinue that went with them, because remember, they didn't travel alone. They, the, the picture of three guys wandering through the desert. These guys were important. They would have had a military escort, all kinds of stuff. So I, first, I believe they experienced saving grace. Second, they experienced sustaining grace. God saved them, and then he directed their lives. And we see this directly in the text, right? What did he do? As soon as they had given their gifts, they were warned in a dream not to return, and they departed to their own country. When we encounter the unexpected, we can expect to find God's grace in that hour of need. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. Paul writing, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's one of my favorite truths in Scripture. Is that his grace is sufficient. I talked earlier about this idea of not knowing how you're going to get through to the other side. I'm not talking necessarily about heaven, but just about a situation or a struggle or a challenge and not seeing the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know how to get there. And not only will God make a way, he will give you the grace to walk it. Because never once has he left us on our own. When we encounter the unexpected, we can expect God to provide leadership and guidance for us. And that's, I think, where we make one of our biggest mistakes when we encounter the unexpected. Right? We're dealing with something, a problem arises, a situation or circumstance, and we go, all right, I got to figure this out. No, you don't. He already has. Remember, it's not a surprise to him. Well, I, yeah, but you don't get it. I've got to have a plan. No, you don't. He's already got a plan. Well, but, but you don't understand. No, I do. It sucks. I get it. I've been there many times. All right, Lord, we got to get here. And I don't know how to get here. But you know, if we won the lottery, we could get there. I've actually said that to him. Is anybody else, am I the only one who's ever asked to win the lottery? Sometimes God says no for a really good reason. <laughs> I'm obnoxious now. Imagine if I had millions of dollars. 
Or Lord, you know, if, if I, we just got this job or we just got that or we just, if this just happened or if that just happened, then, we'd, then I know we could get there. And he goes, uh-huh. I got a better way. And I've watched him do it over and over and over again. You okay? <laughs> Sorry. I get easily distracted. But over and over and over again, and I've watched him do it. I've watched him take the unexpected and then do the unexpected to get me where he needs me to go. It's incredible. I've seen it time and time again. Psalm 25, verse 12 through 14. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should go. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. Do you fear the Lord? Do you want to walk with him? Offer him the reverence and honor that he is so rightly due? When you do, he's going to show you which way to go. Every time. And as God's children, we are never alone. We are never without recourse. He will always make a way for us and he will support us through that unexpected. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's one of my favorite verses for about the last year and a half. I quote it or pray it almost daily. Then Romans 8, 31 through 39, we read the few verses before, and this is kind of long, but I, I think everybody should read these nine verses uh, once a week, at the very least. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? And the answer, by the way, is no one. Because it's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? No one. Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us all. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Right? If you look at that thing, all of those are physical things in the world. Right? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. That's all physical threats. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death or life, angels or rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's nothing physical in all of creation and there is nothing in the spiritual realm there is nothing 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 that can separate us from the love of christ that's good news and even though it's not in there i'm going to add a few things your disobedience won't separate you from his love I'm not encouraging you to be disobedient. Don't, don't. Hey, Jason told us to be disobedient and God will still love us. No. Yes, but no. Don't do that. Our sin 
won't separate us from his love. It did at one time, but Jesus bridged that gap. Our failures don't separate us from his love. He's not surprised when we fail. Our pride won't separate us from his love. Nothing. And folks, I don't know about you, you need to hear that from time to time. Am I the only failure in here? That's just how good he is. That's how blessed we are. As we close, if you're anything like me, you've experienced more than one situation where you encountered the unexpected. Sometimes this happens when you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. And I think the wise men here present us with a great example of how we can respond when we face the unexpected, right? You had men who were being obedient to the call of God on their lives, and it didn't quite go the way they planned. Huh. Shocker. We can recognize that God is at work in and through us in every situation. And I think when we do that, it gives us an eternal perspective. Right? I don't understand it. I might not like it. I might need to embrace the mystery because I actually don't know what's going on. But one thing I can trust is that God is at work. We can worship God no matter what is going on because he is always worthy of our worship. Always. And I cannot tell you, and and I don't know if any of you have ever noticed, my wife will notice this sometimes, that there will be a moment when I'm leading worship where it changes. Right? I was singing and playing guitar. And then I start to worship. Because they're different. I can sing and play guitar all day long if my voice will let me. It doesn't mean it's worship. But there's that moment where, and I hope it happens for everybody in some way, shape, or form, but that moment where you realize what you're doing. You realize who's listening. Because right, I don't care what you hear. Okay, I do a little. That's why we mess with the sound system all the time. But I just, because I don't want it to be a distraction. But if I sing the wrong notes, I don't, I don't get mad. If I miss a word, like Wednesday I skipped a whole verse in the song I wrote. By the way, my family's been making fun of me for that for the last few days. But it doesn't matter. You just worship him. And we can know that we will never face anything alone and that our loving and merciful God will be there to give us the grace and guide us through so here it is when the unexpected meets us in this life it is only in a relationship with God through Jesus that we can rest and have hope I'm going to be very honest I do not know how the billions of people who don't know Christ get out of bed every day some days it's hard enough for me Some days I have a bad day. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to deal with what's in front of me. And that's with the hope of Christ in me and the power of his spirit working through me. Even then, how do you get out of bed when you don't have that hope? How do you face those situations when you don't have the strength? I don't get it. And so if there's anybody listening online, on the recording later on, if you don't have that relationship, you need to know Christ as Savior. And then for the rest of us, what is happening in your life that you find to be unexpected?
Anybody? Yeah, don't raise your hand. Do you see God at work? Are you worshiping him? And are you resting in the fact that he's going through it with you? Because that's the beauty, again, of Christmas. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. His name is Emmanuel for a reason. Because he is God with us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word and for the lessons that we can learn from the wise men. I read this account in Matthew 2 over and over and over again, and I'm so grateful that even though this is, I don't know how many times I've preached this, but every time you you give me something different, you show me something else, and that's just the richness of your living and powerful word of God. I pray, Father, that you would help us to keep our hearts focused on you. I pray for each and every one of us who may be dealing with something unexpected, that you would help us to see you in it, to know that you're working, to worship you, and to trust that you're going to get us through. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.